Welcome back. It's Howl History again. It's kind of a, I don't know, Chad, is this a funeral for the 2020 Timberwolves? Are they done? Is it over already? It kind of feels that way, doesn't it? I mean, the last time we talked was after it was after another really ugly loss. And then last yeah, it was night, after I, the Magic game where they yeah. gave up 10 points in the final two minutes. And very similar <laughs> game last night where we were up 16 or something in the fourth and it coughed it away again. And uh, yeah, I think I was more depressed after the Magic loss and more angry. Last last night I was like, they need to bench D'Lo. I was like just mm-hmm. fed up. I mean, I was just the only guy that had it going all game was Beasley. And inexplicably, they just couldn't or wouldn't give him the ball. Yeah. Down the stretch, D'Lo's chucking up awful shot after awful shot. Even Ricky, when, when they put him in with D'Lo and he would get the ball, he still wasn't get finding Beasley. No, it was, it was like, all a, it was point guard shot, point guard shot, point guard shot, point guard shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it was brutal. I just was so, so frustrated after that. And, you know, so it's, yeah. I, I I mean, I don't know what how to take away other than Beasley's performance was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a little bit of the emergence the last couple of games of Jalen Noel is finally, you know, able to get a little bit of meaningful minutes and his shot's starting to fall and he's starting to show kind of what some of us were excited about when they brought him in last year. Um, so that's good. And then beyond that, I mean, Jade McDaniels continues to impress. I mean, there there are a lot of guys on the team who have performed better than you would have expected up to this point. Really, you're excited about, you know, J- Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Noel, Jared Vanderbilt, even Ant has been playing really well these last five games, and you can be excited about the future. And this would be a wonderful tanking restart season. And we've had lots of those. We've cheered for bad teams over the years, and we've just watched the young guys lose sixty games, but you know, get excited about what the future could hold. The problem is that this was not billed as a re- rebranding team, as a restarting team. This was supposed to be a team that was competing to go 500. We were supposed to have multiple all-stars. It was supposed to be, let's really make a run into playoff berth, and we don't even have our pick this year unless we have, you know, we end up in the bottom three, and we only have a 40% chance of that, even if they have the worst record in the league. So it's just, it's a conundrum. It's a clash of two ideals be- of, as a Timberwolves fan because you you're okay we're all okay cheering for a bad team we're used to it we've done it over many many times but watching a team that not only is bad but also just doesn't have the hope to come with it is just infuriating yeah and i think for those of us that are diehard wolves fans that pick is what separates this year from being able to be a, one of those years like you said mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of young guys and pieces that you think can become meaningful parts to a, a competitive team down the road and she being able to cheer for that team. But then you're like, well, if they're not winning, that's all for not because now we're going to lose a great pick and a great draft. Um, and that's even more frustrating. Now, like if we fast forward it till the summer and we find out that we end up keeping our pick somehow, we still, you know, end up with the one, two or three pick, yeah. then great. Then maybe we're, this is a little less, um, less of a, a blow to, a, to, you know, your, our fandom, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, it is, we still haven't seen enough of towns and D'Lo and this kind of team together. And it's a weird year because of COVID and everything. So you're right that it wasn't built to be a part of the rebuild, but I guess at the beginning of this, when we started the podcast, we both made our predictions for this year. Neither one of us thought this team was going to the playoffs. So 
you know, we're, we're below even what we thought we would be. We thought we'd be hovering around that 500 record and just miss out on that playoff bubble. But we're not even, I mean, we're one of the worst teams in the league right now. Um, yeah, we're sitting at, right. We're sitting at five and 21 or no, five and 16 right now through 21 games. And if you've been sticking with us through this season of our episodes, you know that we're talking about the 1989-1990 expansion Timberwolves as well. And they were also 5-16 and 16 through their first 21 games. So, Chad, I'm, I'm going to put this to you. The Timberwolves roster without Carl Anthony Towns, because he's been, for the most part, missing for this season, is performing at the same level as an expansion team. Is it because we have the same amount of talent as an expansion team? because Ryan Saunders is a much worse coach than Bill Musselman was, or because we have been kind of sold a bill of goods and they expected to be bad and they've built a team that just doesn't fit around each other, but they have some good pieces and talent behind the scenes. I'll actually add one other reason why and I think that I think it is. And, and we'll get into that in our next historical episode, but it's really more, we have this team, even though it's, you know, been around for, 30 plus years now is less experienced than that expansion team was. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the ages of that expansion team, I mean, you, you know, the rookies were still coming in at 22 years old while well, rookies this year, 19 years old, you know, um, well, one of our rookies in 1989 was Sam Mitchell was, who was 25 or 26. I mean, he was Towns's age as a rookie. He wasn't like a, you know, normal rookie because he had actually been drafted three years earlier and, and got, was cut from the Houston Rockets and found his way to the Timberwolves a couple years later. So a little bit different circumstances, but I think that, you know, is Bill Musselman a better coach than Ryan Saunders? We certainly got more experience to this point than Ryan mm-hmm. Saunders. I don't know that I'm ready to anoint him as being a better coach than Ryan Saunders is. Um, you know, I do, I do think the biggest part of it is, is we have very little experience in terms of our players. They're all younger than even the expansion team. And oddly enough, They've actually played together less than even the expansion team did because, you know, no training camp, roster, no pre, yeah, two thirds of roster was yep. new late last year. More new guys during the off season this year. No training camp. We have the COVID shortened season. Um, practices are they have less practices. All these things that kind of create this perfect storm. So, oddly enough, doing the research for these games or for this 1989 season made me think, huh, maybe we're not in as rough a shape as it feels like today on our current mm-hmm. team because it is such an inexperienced team to look at this roster and see how many 22 and under players we have on this team. I mean, we only have two or three guys yep. you know, that play meaningful minutes over 22, you know, <laughs> and one of them hasn't played more than two or three games all year. And that's towns, your best player. So it's, um, there's a lot of core interesting correlations to that 1919 that we'll get into on the next historical episode. But uh, I think that's probably more, the case Mm -hmm. than it just being a case of um you know talent or coaching you know the other thing with the experience is a lot of those guys on that expansion team you know some of them played together with muscleman in the cba yep um others of them had experience like you know sydney Lowe won a national title in college that's meaningful experience you know in the nba particularly in 1989 today you know you got jade mcdaniel who was playing 20 minutes a game in college you know um, and, and he's now hoisted into a meaningful minutes in the NBA, just a few games into his rookie campaign. So 
it's it's an odd year for the Wolves in terms of like what they're putting out there in terms of experience. And and then you know, have two or three starters out most of the year, whether it's Wancho or Okogie missed that stretch, and Towns has been out almost the whole time, and you now Culver's been out a, a spell. So you're missing guys that were expected to be starters or at least play meaningful minutes for you who aren't there for you. And you're relying on guys like Jaden McDaniel, who looked like a project coming into this year. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we talked in the very first episode about the importance of having veterans, of having adults in the room to be able to steady a ship, to be able to ride a team and get them through stretches. Like we've seen, you know, they've blown giant leads multiple times already this season. It always seems to be the same way. It, the problem is, we were talking about that in context of Ricky Rubio making a big difference. And he, as much as it pains, I think everybody in Timberwolves fandom to say, he just hasn't been the same player yet this year. He's been brutal. You know, I mean, he's been better the last two or three games. He had a really good first half last night. Mm-hmm. Second half, he looked bad again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it sucks to say because he's one of my all time favorite players in the league, let alone on this team. And he's just, yeah, he, he hasn't been the same. It's weird because I was talking with my brother actually about this, about Rubio, and he's like, well, he hasn't been able to watch the games because he has Hulu or YouTube mm-hmm, or whatever, mm-hmm. so he can't watch games. But he's like, yeah, I read that Ricky just doesn't look the same. I'm like, well, it's not that. To me, he doesn't look any different. Particularly, yeah, he looks different than what he looked like when he left the Wolves, but he looks like the same Ricky Rubio that played in Utah and Phoenix. He's just not playing very well. Right. But what he was saying was like, his, it looked like his body language is it's not the same stuff. It's like, I, I don't really see all that. I mean, definitely he's definitely crankier because we're, we've lost more games, but I don't think it's like he's given up or, or that he's unhappy to be here. I don't see any of that kind of thing. Well, um, you know what, you know what I've seen from the body language is Ricky, I think, or at least I'm starting to learn. I is a very playbook dependent player. And the reason that he always seems a half step above everybody else on the floor is because he knows exactly where his teammates should be and where he expects the defense to be and it's not so much a i see something that wasn't going that isn't expected to happen and i'm going to put the ball there or i am reading this and just through whatever his 14 16 years now of professional basketball experience is giving him the ability to just know that something's going to happen even though it wasn't you know originally called for i think Ricky's really dependent on not only having a good playbook, but also having teammates that are going to respond and play with him in in that playbook. And there have been multiple times, and if going back to the body language issue, like every time he makes a pass to an empty spot on the floor, or every time he ends up getting stuck from a eight foot fall away because when he looked to the corner there wasn't anybody standing there, the body language to me has been Ricky looking at the player that he expected to be in the right spot or the teammate that he thought was going to be moving, you know, or making a cut or a break at the right time. And it doesn't exempt Ricky from the the play that he's had. He's made some horrible passes. He's taken a lot of bad shots and I can't even begin to count the number of times that he's tried to make an entry pass and it's hit somebody's arm instead, you know, and it's just, he hasn't played well, but I think at least, and this is probably me just trying to make excuses, but, if he were on a better team, if he were with a different coach that was getting a system run more synchronatically, it's not even a word, you know, with, with the 
players on the floor if he was in Boston where Brad Stevens has been for years and everybody just knows where they're supposed to be I think he would look like the rookie that we are used to oh for sure yeah I don't I like you're not seeing like a slippage in talent or athleticism or anything like that mm-hmm. like I don't think he's he's like regressing in terms of what the player he was but I, I think you're right I mean we talked about that before with Ricky as well you know a few episodes back about that he's just not being used properly in this team I mean he's he, he is like a coach on the floor, and it's like, it's weird because when you watch Ricky at his best, it's like a beautiful chaos. Yeah. You know, it's But it's not – it's actually organized. It's just the way Ricky does it. You don't know where that ball is going. He does all these no-look passes. You know, He's out in transition. All these things that we love Ricky Rubio for that he's not able to – he can do it today, but the other players don't know where to be because it's – there is no – like you said, there's no system. Whereas in, like, say, in the Rick Adaman days or in – Utah and Phoenix, he was doing all that stuff with and an offense. But to your point of where he can't give him a free pass is there's also lots of times where he just kills runs. There's last night, for example, um, when he first came into the game for D'Lo, and I forget who it was on our team. We we get a stop. I want to say it was Vanderbilt, like strips um, one of the mm-hmm. Spurs players, gets the ball, gets it out out ahead to Ru- Ricky Rubio, and he just makes a very careless pass that gets picked back up and Spurs come back down transition, and get the bucket. So it's a four point swing, right? Cause we stopped yeah. them at one end. We could have had a basket and instead they strip us back cause it's just a careless pass. And then they go down with the, you know, in those, all those positions, Jim Pete hit on it during the game yesterday. It's how many of those careless possessions are we going to have on this team through the first three quarters when we're building a lead, when we're building a mm-hmm. 16 point lead that bite us in the butt at the end of games over and over again, because we're not a finishing team despite what D'Lo wants to believe he is he's not an elite player he's a guy that has got some skill and some talent and I like him a lot as a player but there's no reason that he should be out there taking every shot at the end of the game he's not that guy he's never going to be that guy and he needs to get that out of his head or they can't have him out there on the court in closing situations because he's he's hurting the team when he's just holding on to the ball and the Spurs can put two guys on him and force them to take a shot four feet beyond the arc. I mean, it's just, it's absurd to me. And I, frankly, if I was Ryan Saunders, I would have benched him yep. in that closing minute of the game and just said, look, you're costing us this game. You're not Carl Anthony Towns. You're not the guy that's going to be sitting on the throne while he's out. This is, We have to win it as a team because right now we're losing it as a team. And you have to find the open guy, make the right basketball play, not make the right D-low play. And that's where I just kind of had lost it last night with this team because the Orlando game, it was just, there was some apathy. It was just like careless mistakes. All that kind of stuff was happening too. But now it's, it's, it was almost the hubris of, of, um, of D'Lo to like kind of act like, I mean, D'Lo or uh, Beasley was kind of having a little bit of that, right? Like he was rolling and he's like staring down the Spurs bench. and like, you know, pump the brakes because we all know. Yeah. They're going to make a comeback on us, and you might look pretty silly for doing that. And sure Every enough, team in the league knows they can play rope-a-dope against the Timberwolves. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and so it was a little bit asinine for Beasley to be doing that. But to be fair to him, he wasn't the one that was letting us down. No. Like, and They weren't even giving him opportunities to let us win this one. And so it was extremely frustrating to see you know, D'Lo just insist on taking those shots. And I saw his, his interview afterwards, and that – it made me feel better watching his interview, like his thoughts on it. And he was saying, like, look, the first three quarters, I'm looking to get my teammates more involved. And the fourth quarter, you know, win or lose, I'll, I'll own that. But that's my time to shine. So I, I like the fact that he's willing to take the heat if they lose. 
you know, and they did, and he hasn't been that closer like he wants to be. But I think he's just got to give up on that that notion that he's going to be this, you know, Steph Curry like closer because that's just not his game. No, he's, I mean, if this team ever reaches its potential, he's the third best player. I mean, right? And he's 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 starting to step in onto a team that it was not built for him to be the primary go-to scorer on the team. And he was going to have a role and we can't as bad as he has been and as angry as he has made me, I'm not going to give a final verdict on his success with this team until he gets to play a significant role next to Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. And and look, I'm not, I still like him even on this team, but you're right. He's the third best player on a, on a contending team. And frankly, if Towns is healthy right now, he's probably the third best player on this team right, right. now. He's be, he's I not was, as good as Beasley right now. He's not as good as Mike, Mike Beasley. And Anthony Edwards is close on his tail. Yeah. Um, you know, not he will not catch him this year. But if Edwards continues to play like he's played the last five games mm-hmm. and continues to progress, I mean, he's going to be, you know. Yeah, he'll be better he'll than – he'll, I mean, the skill set there is a better – is a more successful skill set for successful basketball than what D'Lo does. You know, nothing that D'Lo does makes, looks easy. He makes every possession look hard, and it ends up in a shot that, quite frankly, you don't expect to go in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and to bring this whole thing to a, to a head, the most successful game that the Timberwolves have played since we last talked about them over these last eight games was a game where D'Lo sat, Ricky started, and Ricky and Ryan kind of called plays the entire game against New Orleans. They end up going out against a team that was supposed to be significantly more talented than, than them against Zion and Brandon Ingram and Steven Adams, where they were significantly outsized. And Ricky just kind of went out, did his floor general thing, had nine points, seven rebounds, seven assists in 28 minutes. And they just, they looked like a functioning team. And that was the only game that they've played that has not been either a loss or, you know, a nerve wracking ending. So it's just, I'm not saying, you know, once again, Ricky is not devoid of fault here. But at the same time, neither is D'Lo. And they have not figured out a system that works for either of those point guards, let alone one of them, mm-hmm. you know, so or let alone both of them. So they need to get something figured out. They need to work in a system here that's going to keep guys accountable, that's going to continue to run sets and run plays no matter what time of the game it is and not just try to milk the clock for seven straight minutes. And... And doesn't that yeah. the, they all talked about the accountability thing, keeping each other accountable? And Ryan said that, uh, Beasley said that, D'Lo said that, Ricky said that, that in the interviews to, in di- varying degrees. Doesn't that all just seem like a bunch of garbage? I mean, yeah. who's keeping who accountable? Nobody's keep no nobody's getting benched for nope. You know, playing outside the system. I mean, it's just you know, and I, I get it. It's like you can't bench them for long stretches because you don't have enough guys that can you know play, but. Um, you know, it's closing moments. You don't need to have deal out there. I know you're paying him to be that guy, but look, you have a guy on the court that's having a game. Get the ball to him. And if your point guard, regardless of what you're paying him, whether that's the 16, 17 million you're paying Rubio or the 22 or whatever it is you're paying Delo, if you have to sit them both and let Jalen Noel bring the ball up, you you let Jalen Noel bring the ball yep. up and at least get give Beasley, Beasley an opportunity to win that game for you because he deserves it. He played his butt off that entire game. Frankly, he's played his butt off this whole season and he's gotten better in you know, just about every facet of his game and not, he's got no return for it because he's playing on a team with some other guys who are get a little bit selfish in the closing moments, especially when you get up. I think that's the biggest thing I, I took away from last night's game is they, they get the 16 point lead. It's not that 
it's just the youth and all that that mm-hmm. they copped away the lead. It's all those guys started getting a little bit selfish. They all were like, okay, well, we got this game. This one's in the bag, so I'm going to go out there and get me my points. And instead of running the things that they were doing that got them success for the first three quarters, they start taking bad shots because they want to make sure they got the shot up because they're trying to pad their stats a little bit. That's the way I, I interpreted some of what was going on. And that gets uh, really frustrating. And I'm sure it's far more frustrating for Ryan Saunders, but he, he's got to send a message then. And that would have been a perfect opportunity to just say, Hey, Philo, you're sitting this last minute in this game because what you're doing is not working and you're, you're, you're not doing what we're asking you to do. You're just going out there and dribbling it out and taking an awful shot. Anybody can take, you can might as well dribble up the half court and heave it because you're throwing possessions away. So um, I wish that Ryan would have done, a little bit more tough love there and, and uh, sent a message to the rest of the team that you still have to do, you still have to do what's right for the system and for the rest of the team that you can't just go out there and play hero ball. Well, I mean, and that's why a lot of Ryan's post-game press conferences have rung hollow because he talks about the need for accountability, the, t- the need to run a system, the need to execute in different areas as if he doesn't have any power to impact those things. Right. Like he's just along for the ride. It's like, dude, yeah. you're, you're in charge. You're the captain. So do something yep. about it. <laughs> so, so, I don't know. We've been going long yeah. enough on the, on the bad things. It, yeah. you know, two and six over the last eight games, wins against the Pelicans and the Cavaliers. Like, but On the bright side, it looks like Towns is close to being back. He was on the sideline. Towns yesterday. is over COVID. He's just getting, he's trying to get his conditioning under his belt again. Yep. Uh, Wancho should be back soon. And you all know how I feel about Wancho. I don't think that actually helps the team. But um, well, one the, other bright spot that we didn't touch on, Jake Lehman. He, he's looked better. Yeah, he's been great the last couple of, since his his uh, son was born. He's been good every mm-hmm. game. He's been back since then. So. Well, he's he's a guy that I feel like you need to have on the floor with Ricky at all times because those two understand basketball to a level that they can right. actually feed off of each other. Um, I agree. So speaking of high notes, if you had to pick one player that's actually been the best story for you over these past eight games, the one that has made you feel the most confident and the best about the future, whether that's something that you didn't expect or somebody that's living up to your expectations, who would you choose? Um, I'm going to go Jaden McDaniels because I had the least ex- amount of expectations for him. Mm-hmm. I think Beasley's been far and away the best player yep. all season, um, let alone the last eight games. And then um, I've been extremely pleased with Edwards the last five games after he was on a stretch where he looked awful for five or so games. You know, he started off good beginning of the season for five or so games yep. and kind of a rough stretch for five to 10 games. And then the last five, he's been really good again. So, um, but it, what I like about his five games where he's been good, it's like, he's figuring out how to do the, to, to do the things he was doing poorly, even when he was good at the beginning of the season, when he's good at the beginning of the season, he was hitting threes, but he was still wasn't finishing at the rim. Now he's finishing at the rim. He's hitting threes. He's still making his good passes. He's, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's still trying on defense, which I think will pay dividends somewhere down the road. Um, but Jade McDaniels is my story for me because just because I just didn't even think we would even see him play this year, yep. like uh, any minutes. And I just I mean, can't say enough good things about that kid. I just think everything about him is, I mean, he's, he's, he looks like he's got it on defense. He looks like he has it figured out on offense. Like he can hit threes already, but yet he can kind of post guys up. He was trying to, he tried to dunk on JaVel McGee. The oh, other he's night. tried to dunk on everybody. That's his yeah. confidence. Isn't an issue, right? No. Like, and, both these well, rookies. there was a point last night, and I think I tweeted about it, but he went up, and who was the center that we were playing against? It was um, Podol. 
total. Yep. He went up with his left hand. He tried to switch it to his right hand and then yam it on top of Potal's head. I mean, he got blocked. It was a, it was a clear block. It, but at the same time, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you even make that decision in the air? Like, I'm still going to try to dunk this. Yeah. Or, or um, and Edwards had a similar one two games ago where he, he took off from the free throw line. Yeah. And then he realized, oh, that's a little farther than yep. I thought. <laughs> and he made the right pass. But so both those guys, the confidence that those guys have, they're, they're extremely confident without being delusional about their skill level. You know, mm-hmm. they're not like, you know, the type of guy who's going to, uh, OJ Mayo, like where he's just going to pout when, things don't go his way. He's like, Oh, Rusty, you guys don't realize how good I am. It's not me. It's you. You know, they, they don't strike me as those kind of guys. So that's, that has me excited for the future. Um, you know, and, and Beasley has me excited for the more, the more immediate future, because I do think once Towns is back and, um, we'll see better days ahead for D'Lo and even Ricky. Um, so, you know, there, it's not all bad. How about you though? It, it, I, yeah. Did I steal your thunder? Else you? And, no, actually, I love Mc McDaniel's. He's been playing really well, but the guy that stands out the most to me, and maybe this is just because I grew up watching the '90s Bulls, but Jared Vanderbilt is exactly the type of power forward that I enjoy watching. And I don't know if he's a power forward that impacts winning in 2021 the same way that a guy like McDaniel's can if he if he reaches his potential. But somebody that tries that hard, that doesn't need a shot, and gets nine rebounds in ten minutes, like. That is exactly the type of person that I'd love to have on the floor. And I, I don't know, like I said, he may not be the the starting power forward long term for the Timberwolves. Maybe yeah. that's McDaniels. Maybe that's Wancho. Maybe that's somebody else that's not even on the roster yet. But, man, I enjoy watching that guy play basketball. And the energy level that he puts in, and he's he was frantic at first with, with just kind of crazed energy. And he's just starting to rein that in and give energy in the right areas. And he's just been a, a real joy for me. Yeah, I agree. He has reined in more. I mean, Joshua Kogi is one of my favorite players, but he's still more frantic yeah. than Vanderbilt with many, many more games experience. So that's reassuring. I I think the way Vanderbilt plays can be a recipe for success. I think if he can get better at passing and start to develop a little bit of an outside shot, mm-hmm. he's, he could be a Draymond Green-like force because of his defensive ability, his rebounding ability. I don't know that he'll be as good as Draymond Green, but you get what I'm saying. Right. Like Draymond Green is an all-star, you know, second or third best player on a championship team for a few years there. And um, we're just talking about Vanderbilt becoming a, a legit starting power yep. forward. So he, he could be a poor man's Draymond and still be a starter in this league on a, on a winning team, you know, in my opinion. So yeah, he's definitely another one that I'm excited about as well. Yeah. I mean, we look at, we look at Rosas coming from Houston. We assume that analytically or stylistically, he wants to, play the same five out offense that Houston has been playing especially with Towns at center and that's kind of what he's proven he wants shooters at all all four positions or all five positions and it he's to his fault he has been sending out every single big power forward that could play next next to Towns and he has no interest in even playing that way but I mean if you look at Houston over the years it wasn't just we want to change the game by having five small guys on the floor it was who's doing the things that are undervalued in the league right you know it's, it's the money ball approach exactly and yep. you, you can't lock yourself in it just has to be who is going to be undervalued and who, who can we build a team around if we're going to pay big money to our stars who do we have to have around them that 
will give it us you know more than we're than anybody else is expecting and they've had chuck hayes in the past who had all of the behind the scenes advanced analytics on his defense the way that he maybe didn't get a rebound but he kept his guy from getting the rebounds somebody else could get the rebound it's like they've been tracking these things for years and i have to Mm -hmm. assume that rosas has some of the numbers behind the scenes to see like vanderbilt and mcdaniels are two of the most impactful players when it comes to winning on the Timberwolves right now in terms of their their performance and whether or not that's because it's their energy or because they've been playing against scrubs or just because of the minutes they've been playing and they haven't been on the floor during the collapses whatever that happens to be like they've got to start taking a look at these numbers and realize that they've got these guys on good contracts for long term and they can really make hey what you know headwinds if they lean into it and these guys grow at the same pace that everybody else does yeah in Houston I think what Houston did was a lot what Philly did around Iverson is they it's very different systems you know very different types of players but they said look who's our best guy for Philly it was Iverson for Houston it was James Harden and they said okay what does that guy need around him mm-hmm. that we can realistically get on this team to make him successful and they went out and got guys that could do all those other things you know they got guys I mean where it started to fall apart for Houston is when they started adding other ball dominant guards right you know Westbrook and stuff because then it's like okay you now you're using your assets for guys who have star power but don't really fit what you were trying to do and and you're just trying to do what the other teams are everybody else is already trying to do which is add two or three stars to their team and just go out there and play and Houston had a system in place with one star and a bunch of really good complimentary role players which was much better for their success and I think what the Wolves got to do is recognize okay our best player is Carl Anthony Towns. What does Carl Anthony Towns need to be the best version of Carl Anthony Towns? Because whatever that is, mm-hmm. is your best road to success for, as as a team. And so I think that is. You have to have a legit power forward. You can't just have Wancho out there chucking threes. And so Towns gets worn down, you know, getting the hell beat out of him by teams like yep. Memphis and um, who are much bigger and stuff. So um, I, I agree. I, hopefully if – the silver lining to Towns missing so many games is that Vanderbilt has earned a significant role even when Towns is back. And Nas Reed. Nas Reed's had a really good year as well. Yep. So Nas, a lot better. Yeah, Nas can play alongside Towns and not just play the five to ten backup minutes at center. He can play, you know, another ten minutes at power forward um, as well. And I frankly I would move Okogi out of power forward and leave him out of power forward and I, I don't think Okogi's a starter. I mean, I really no. like Okogi, but as good as he is defensively, he's just as awful offensively, and yep. he's he's getting worse. I mean, he, I mean, Culver hasn't been good this year, but you even have to try Culver in those minutes when he's healthy again because yeah, Okogi yeah. is just killing them on offense. And McDaniel's might be stealing that role. Yep. Like McDaniel's might be your three. He could play the um, three some. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, I just think until I mean, I I love Okogi. I think he's a great person. I think he's a you know a great defender, and you can use him in those roles. But until he plays under control and then either you bail on him as a three-point shooter or he gets better as a three-point shooter you just can't have him all significant stretches on offense yep well so. i think we've gone long enough i mean like you said the the wolves need to build around Carl anthony towns as their best player i think that is what rosas has tried to do unfortunately we, none of us have been able to see whether or not he's been successful in that because towns le- just legitimately hasn't played enough games since this roster was put together so he's not going to be a panacea for all our ailments uh, but the team 
hopefully will be significantly better once he's back on the floor. So that's what we have to look forward to. Hopefully the Timberwolves can turn things around by the time we come back and talk about this team in two weeks. And Chad, we'll, uh, we're going to look at the first half of the 1989 season when we, uh, when we come back next week. Yeah, you excited about that? Yeah, it should be uh, fun. It would be interesting to kind of compare and contrast, you know, this team versus that team and then look at where the bright spots were through that first half of the 1989-90 mm-hmm. season. and Lots of very fun subplots. Yep. All righty, man. I'll cool. talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Peace. See ya.